Thank you so much, Amide and Pastor January for uh, guiding us into that time to fully embrace who God has made us to be, the score, story that God has written in our lives and God's plan and purposes for us. Thank you for all of you for joining us, whether on um, our Zoom or on YouTube this morning. We trust that as we prepare ourselves to come around the Lord's table, that even as God has been speaking and uh, pouring his glory and his purposes into our being, that we receive now the word. Normally today uh, is a near national holiday when sports fans and non-sports fans alike gather at homes, restaurants, bars, even in our, our ministry center. Of course, to eat, to cheer, to groan, eat some more, uh, to rate the commercials, the halftime show, and to eat still some more. But as we know, this year is not an ordinary year. One player you may probably never have heard of may make the crucial decision this afternoon. His name is James Winchester. He is the long snapper for the Kansas City Chiefs. And you might ask, Pastor Jonathan, what is a long snapper? A long snapper is the player whose one and only job is to hike the ball between his legs 15 yards to the punter and about seven or eight yards to the holder for field goals and extra points. And this is his position on the team. Every day, he practices executing the perfect spiral. Doing this as, and is that not as easy as we may think. The spin must be tight and fast, and the long snapper has to locate the, the football in the same spot every time, with the seams pointed out. This week I was reading in a local newspaper of two high school students, seniors here in this SGV, who accepted scholarships to the University of Utah and to the Naval Academy to be the long snapper on those collegiate football teams. Parents, think about it. A full ride scholarship, hiking a football. We may chuckle, but a long snapper plays integral and often overlooked place. Uh, perhaps James Winston today will contribute the difference between winning and losing Super Bowl 55. This is true of one of the primary characters in the Esther story. His name is cited about 56 times throughout the book, but he only speaks once in the 10 chapters. While he was often not the primary focus, his decisions and actions drastically shaped the contour of this Old Testament book from beginning to end. Mordecai is a most fascinating individual. He was deported from his home country of Israel, becoming a resident alien in distant Persia. We may recall from the story of Daniel that it was the ancient warfare practice for the victors to showcase their conquest by parading home the elites as spoils of the defeated. The politically powerful, the educated esteem, 
the socially significant. Mordecai was among those taken away. Little is known about his background, his station of life, his family, his work, even his faith. Yet we find Mordecai living in the Persian capital of Susa. And throughout this story, Mordecai faces perplexing choices and daunting decisions with enormous implications. What will you do? What will guide and direct his actions? As we've been considering the apparent hiddenness of God in the book of Esther, where God is not even mentioned at all, we might find ourselves sensing God's similar absence in our lives. It has been a long pandemic year. School has been extremely challenging for our children. Our isolation at home have taken a toll on our physical and mental health. We long for human contact and for non-virtual interaction. We're grateful that some of our seniors have begun to receive their COVID vaccines, but most of us will be having to wait. Where is God this very moment? Is God for us? Is God with us? Let me briefly recap Mordecai's story. Our first glimpse occurs when King Xerxes, whom Julie shared last Sunday, declared a search for his next queen. Mordecai had become the surrogate parent of his young cousin Esther when she lost both her mother and father. Mordecai assumed primary care for her well-being. The time came when the couriers in the capital city gathered all eligible young women to enter a one-year cosmetology program before they walked down the runway before the king. What should Mordecai do? What can he do? Where is God this very moment? Mordecai understood that with non-citizenship status, there was little that he could do to protect or hide his cousin. Once in the king's harem, he may never see her again. Would she be safe? Would she be harmed? There was enormous consequences on Esther's future. Mordecai didn't interfere with Esther's call to the program, but he took due diligence to prepare Esther to say nothing about her true identity, to not draw attention to herself and to do what she could to survive. And all Mordecai could do was to be present. Esther 2 verse 11, it says, every day he walked back and forth near the court of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now you can imagine over all the gathered candidates from the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, the small incredible odds that Esther would be chosen. And yet she was. We see that Mordecai remained vigilant and earnest about the well-being of his cousin entrusted to his care. He placed himself nearby at the entrance of the king's palace where he overheard a quiet exchange between two of Xerxes' close associates. Bigthana and Teresh are upset with the king and plot a coup to instigate an assassination attempt. Mordecai faces another dilemma. 
does he become a whistleblower? Being a foreigner, would his account be disputed as fake news? Who could he possibly turn to whom he could trust? And what could be the negative fall on him? Where is God this very moment? The risks are high, but he chooses to pass the information of this imminent insurrection to Esther. And this could cost both of them dearly. Mordecai's account, fortunately, is fully corroborated. And the official royal record books credits him with the avoidance of this national crisis. Even so, Mordecai encounters an even more vehement and deadly threat. The story introduces a new rival, Haman. Haman is not, like Mordecai, is not unlike Mordecai in some ways because he equally was an expatriate from the Palestine province. But Haman's ancestry roots were with the Amalekites, the historic enemies of Mordecai's tribe since the time of the judges and the king. And as Pastor Ryan described, Haman was conniving, opportunistic, politically shrewd, and used his power of persuasion for strategic gain and personal ambition. Haman successfully maneuvered himself into the vice president title, second only to the king. And once again, Mordecai faced a formal decision. What should he do? Esther 3 verses 2 and 4 reads, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. But the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him but he refused to comply. Therefore, he told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. Now, Mordecai's act of defiance would lead to the ultimate showdown, where Haman's hurt pride, rage, translated into a vindictive order of genocide of all Jews throughout the Persian Empire. Haman was not content to just take his revenge on Mordecai alone, but on all those associated in his blood origin. So how does Haman, how does, excuse me, Mordecai respond? He tore his robe, exchanged it for a, bur a burlap sackcloth, placed ashes on his forehead and went through the city wailing. And he caused such a commotion that Esther became distraught at her cousin's anguish and sent an aide to check on him. And here in chapter four, we read the only words that the Bible records from Mordecai's mouth. Mordecai says to Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. 
but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Where is God this very moment? Is God with Mordecai and Esther? Is God for them and their community? God may sometimes not be visible at work in our affairs, but God may use other agency to respond. Here in the Esther story, it becomes the vulnerable queen who would become the asset of God's divine action. We will hear more about her journey next Sunday. Mordecai played his unique and important role in this biblical saga. He had protected and prepared Esther for her emerging role. He was instrumental in thwarting violence against the Persian king and stood up against the exploits of untethered ambition. The story will now pivot on the decisions and actions of his cousin. Each of us may face circumstances and situations where like Mordecai, we feel alone in our position. We may feel the absence of God. We may struggle to know what God wants us to do, but we can realize and see that God may be with us and for us as we act on behalf of others and then as they act on behalf of us. Two Saturdays ago, we and other churches in Rosemead hosted our monthly food distribution. And we were really pleased that uh, we were able to serve 450 households in that drive. We literally ran out of food. This week, uh, several people reached out to me and said, we've heard what the churches have done and can we assist? There was a member of our church who was at Costco. We all find ourselves at Costco from time to time. And she told me, Pastor Jonathan, there's a sale on ham. Could you use that for the food drive? I said, of course. So the next thing I know, a car pulls up at my house and in the trunk of her car were 28 hams for families for the next food drive. Yesterday, uh, a truck came pulling into my house and the owners of a noodle company here in LA who's um, who's a friend of one of the members of a church, uh, dropped off 800 boxes of Chinese noodles because he heard of what we do on behalf of others. This coming week, where is God in your life this very moment? Uh, might God use you to be with and for another person? And they perhaps, God used someone else to be with you and for you this week as well. The legacy of Mordecai is captured in the last verse of the book of Esther. Uh, chapter 10, verse three, this is what uh, ends the narrative. It says that he, Mordecai, worked for the good of the people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. The book of Esther established the Jewish 
celebration of Purim, where the actions of Esther and Mordecai delivering Jews from threatening annihilation would be read and remembered by generations to come. This morning, we share in a similar remembrance when we gather around the table of Jesus. He came as God's agent of peace, of reconciliation and redemption. He resisted and overcame the power of darkness and evil. We receive him both as the line of Judah and the Lamb of God. The Jews were invited to turn their sorrow into joy, their mourning into celebration. And as we this morning uh, are able to share in the remembrance of Jesus' broken body and shed blood, may our hearts move from grieving to gratitude, from despair to worship. I invite you to find your communion elements. Today I have a Triscuit cracker and some kombucha. Allow me to read 1 Corinthians 11 to prepare our hearts as we remember, celebrate, and worship our suffering Christ and our risen Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. So today, as we take the communion in our own homes and spaces, may we remember that God is with us God is for us. When you're ready, you may take your communion elements.